Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed in the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy J., compulsive overeater and body obsessor. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Michelle, for asking me to speak tonight and, and be here. I haven't been at a live meeting in two and a half years, and this room holds so much recovery for me. In more than one program, OA is my third program. I didn't want another program. I didn't want one that was called Overeaters Anonymous. And yet, the recovery and the grace that I have felt being in these rooms has been truly profound. It was the opposite of what I thought it was going to be, in the sense like more work, try harder, do more, shoulds, should be this way, more perfect. It wasn't that at all. What I learned here, it was bumpy in the beginning because I had to let go of all of that thinking. But what I found here it was a fellowship that was so warm and welcoming and kind that it showed me that I could be kind to myself too. Because the recovery for me in this program is the voice in which I speak to myself. Because that was the one that was really, really painful and full of shame. And caused me to eat. And then the rebound effect of what happened after I did that. The shame really, you know, I look back. I talk to different parts of myself. There's like, you know, me as a child. There's nine-year-old Amy. There's teenage Amy. I've just kind of met her. I have two teenage daughters, so <laughs> coming into my own teenager has been interesting, too. But it's that that nine-year-old that I've it's taken some time to really heal because she held a lot of shame. And I did a presentation early this morning for something completely different. And the, and the feedback was really positive, except for one person suggested something that I was moving sort of, and when I was doing my presentation and this person is new to the group and so I was aware of that and yet that was what I kept focusing on I still have that ability to focus on the negative my mind will focus on what is wrong and it immediately reminded me of my childhood when I would I was performing at school and I was singing my heart out and my shoulders kept going up and down and up and down and up and down. And I didn't think anything of it. I was just in my body for a moment. And then I got off the stage and two cousins and my aunt started to make fun of me and tease me about this. And I shut down pretty quickly. And they were you know, they were mimicking how I was doing it. And, and their, that shame just about standing up and speaking and being visible has has been through me so much. And the way I handled that was I ate. Because I needed to eat to feel grounded, to feel safe, to feel secure in the world. I would eat to feel full. 
and the only way I could feel full was eat too much, and or not even feel full, the way I could feel grounded was to feel full, because life did not feel safe to me. The iron, I don't know if it's irony, the, the, the painful truth, and is that, that those two cousins and the aunt, their dad sexually abused me for, and probably the, them too, for, uh, from when age six to age, uh, about age nine. And I didn't remember that for a long time. And I know that I ate to survive because it was the only tool I had to do that. You know, during, I remember after, like, it's so weird how memories go because it was when I was a little bit older, I was eight, <laughs> older. <laughs> but uh, my aunt, the morning after a pretty difficult night or violent night is the more honest way to say it um gave me a sugary thing I wasn't allowed to have at home that's what I remember I remember I don't eat those things now and didn't really in my life after that but I do remember that I remember the cellophane wrap and the thing and the and the taste that it felt the next morning like oh okay I'm okay because this tastes good I'm okay oh okay that didn't nothing bad happened because I can still do you know show up here now it's an OA meeting, and yet I needed to talk about this because it's not so, you know, I've done a lot of healing on this. This isn't a new memory for me, yet it informs everything, and particularly what I started by saying, which is the gentleness towards myself, right? I, stuff happened to me that it was painful, and I went, experienced trauma, and handled it in all sorts of different ways, which was food. So now as an adult, when I still do that, I, I didn't find I could heal if I kept beating myself up like I did for so many years. I continue to do that. And so for me, the recovery has had to come in a different way. Now, my story isn't the same as other people's story. My recovery isn't the same as others, and, and I say that because it took me a couple years to understand that, which means that when I heard someone lead and they had a certain abstinence, I thought I had to have that abstinence too or I was failing away, right? Like I judged myself to everybody else. It didn't matter what was right for me or my body or what I was going through, so so much of my healing had to be to just sit in the discomfort that I may be different than somebody else, my body type might be different, what I need might be different. Just who I am is going to be different. And my abstinence might be different. Because I know it, that this is a different path for me. And thank goodness I've had sponsors that have held that space for me. Because I picked a very rigorous, uh, uh, tight abstinence for my first six weeks. And then I absentmindedly broke it. That, as I, when I realized I had broken it, the, there was a devil of a voice that came into my head, like who do you like, just attacking me for breaking it, and the failure of that, and that's not recovery. I had I had been in other programs, as I said, so I knew that that was not a recovered voice. So if what I was doing was 
in any way building that up to fall, like that was not recovery for me. I needed a new path. And luckily, I was able to talk about my spot, talk to my sponsor about it, and we reset my date. And then my, uh, my abstinence became rigorous honesty because I just had to be honest. It doesn't mean I don't have a food plan, and that's changed with my body changing and different health stuff. But my abstinence is rigorous honesty so that I can sit here and go, oh, I wasn't going to talk about that, but oh, that's what came up, right? And I wanted to come and, you know, have a really uplifting <laughs> share, and I didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth. But the truth is that, like, for so long, I haven't, you know, the idea, like, speak from the heart. I don't... You know, that's an amazing thing. That is not easy for me to do because my heart is so protected. And I used food as that buffer. I used food and weight to focus on so I didn't have to feel. And, you know, for many years, when someone asked me what I felt, it was tired or hungry. Those are they even really feelings? I <laughs> think they're states of being. But that's what I would say. And recently, I've been saying I'm tired a lot, which means I've been kind of numbing out. And the recovery is that I know what to do when I spot that. So my food behavior is my cue that something else is going on because I don't always see it myself. If I start obsessing about... And I can obsess about anything for me. Like, I can turn a healthy food into a compulsive food. It doesn't matter if it's that cellophane sugary thing or not. I really, those things kind of make me sick, and I haven't eaten them in a long time, but, like, even before program. But it doesn't matter what it is. I can turn it into something that it's not meant to be. And I did that as a kid, too. You know, I grew up in a household where... There was, a, you know, a lot of expectations on me. My dad wasn't around a whole lot. He was a doctor, but, you know, uh, working all the time. And my mom was pretty critical. And I just constantly always believed not enough. I just grew up like I wasn't good enough. There isn't enough time. There's enough love. There's enough money. There's enough food. So this, like, lack of food and constant insecurity and fear was kind of the pot I was already in, and then you add in this other trauma, and it's just, where do I go for relief? I went to the food, and I snuck it. I, I hid it. I was kind of one of those people that, I, the slivers, you know, I had to even things out on food. And I can still do that. Today, the recovery, though, is I don't often do it. If I do, I tell somebody about it <laughs> so it's not that's honesty I write about it in my 10 step and I've come to a place where I can actually say oh it's just lunch or it's just dinner or it's just a snack the neutrality around it is a gift the body stuff is a little bit harder even though they're totally related um, for decades, most of my journals were written about everything wrong with my body. And my biggest tool, well, besides food, the other tool was disassociation. Now, I was listening to something about disassociating, and if 
case you don't know what that means, it's kind of leaving your body, basically. And I always, I thought everybody did that. I didn't know that was a weird thing to do. And um, that relates to food, because if I'm not present in my body, how do I know what is enough? Or when to stop eating? Or what is going to be right for me? I don't have that internal guidance system to know what, or I didn't have it. I do now. I don't trust it all the time. That's where I'm at today. Can I trust myself? But being honest helps me have gatekeepers in there, too. And I've had to learn how to be in my body and tolerate the distress. The distress of a feeling. So I used to eat when I didn't feel right. Like if if I had a feeling, an emotion, or my body felt weird, or a health thing I didn't fully understand, I would go to the food. I also ate when somebody else was going through distress. So when my kids would go through distress, that was hard for me. They crossed the boundary or something like that. Their distress made me distressed. And so that was another way to eat. I would eat to chew on things because I'm an overthinker, overprocessor, obsessor, right? I needed to literally chew on things. And, and like, and I can still find myself wanting to do that. And the last couple weeks, um, even before I knew I was speaking here, I started writing down when these thoughts came into my head, kind of like keeping track of, of numbers in another program where you just write down your, what you spend on things. But I was just, what are these thoughts that are suddenly coming up, these obsessing on these random things that... I could take it or leave it most of the time, and it was good practice for me because they just left. They were just there. Sometimes they were like three in a row, but they were just thoughts. They had so much power when they were in my head, and when I put them down, I was like, oh, yeah, I want that. But I think I just – I didn't have my full lunch because of my schedule. I just need to eat the other half of my lunch. Oh, okay, done. It was just lunch again. The neutrality is such a gift so that when I – those things come up, they don't have the power that they used to. Now, how did this all happen? Higher power. I have a strong practice that I have to constantly connect to higher power because what it was like in my childhood, there was no higher power. It didn't make any sense to me. How could there be a higher power with what was going on around me? I was not protected. I was not safe. I was being made fun of by people who were so chaotic. There was just no room for that. I remember in my 20s, I was on a flight after a work thing at the time, and it was really bumpy. It was in Colorado, and leaving a festival, and someone on the flight said, do you believe in God? I was like, no. He's like, how could you not? Because it was terrifying (laughs) what we were on. And it was one of those moments where I was like, maybe I should reconsider. (laughs) It was a really profound moment for me. And it took a couple more days (laughs) for me to end up in these rooms. But as I do today, I can say yes. And I have a different higher power than I used to. Not one that's punitive or telling me that I'm bad or wrong. 
that supports that demon voice that came into my head when I broke my abstinence right away. It was di- it's different today. When I did my second step in OA, I got to make, a, or I made a, I guess it was like a bubble map of all the words that my higher power had. And it was so different. My higher power is kind to me. It tells me to be gentle with myself. I wrote a two-way prayer this morning where I, I you know, I, the vulnerability of standing up here and talking to all of you makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> it's a feeling. Okay, there's a new word, vulnerability. I didn't know that before. I would either, you know, turn that into hunger or tired. But today I can say that. And I can sit here with that discomfort, that distress tolerance, and sit with it and get up here anyway and say yes to being asked to lead and not hide under my desk like I used to do. But the idea of... I don't remember what I, where I was going with that, but the today it's it is different, and I can be. Oh, I was writing my two-way prayer to God, huh? And and I was asking about what to say tonight, what to talk about, what can I be of service, and how can I? Because I care about each of you, anyone who's listening. I want whatever I say to be useful and helpful to you. It's so deep within me to have that need, to feel a sense of belonging. It's, it's just part of who I am. And, and that can, too much of that will fall into people-pleasing, right? And fall into these other things that then leave me as a doormat on the ground. But, so I asked God. I went to God my, and asked, what do I, what do you want me to say? And, and, my response, usually when I write a lot to God, and the, it's usually short when I get back. There's not a lot of words necessary, which was, which was just be here, be present, show up, listen to what is in me to say, and trust. What? I didn't, I didn't prepare and outline everything I wanted to say today, because that's another form of really control. And so it felt scary to walk in here without that, to not have a planned talk. I don't have a planned OA share. Not that those are bad or good, it just I don't have one. <laughs> so I come up here going, okay, what, what is, you know, what's going to come out? And I keep showing up and having the willingness to show up and say something that in the hopes will be helpful. And the idea that food was a place I could go in the past and a place of comfort to me, but doesn't serve me today, is is powerful to recognize that now I have other tools. I didn't have other tools as a child or even as a teenager, I had, you know, the whatever was around me. There's a, the shame was so powerful, I had to find something to take it away. The shame of just existing. And, and there were so many dark days, and as I said, every journal was about how bad I looked. It was all external. 
you know. I ended up not even saving them. I had found a bunch of old journals. They weren't, there was nothing in there except for, I, I don't like, I, in my household raising two girls, I said I didn't want to use the word fat to describe bodies, right? So I'm saying it now, but that's what was written in the word. Just, I'm so fat tonight, this, this, that, that. That's all that was written for 10 years or whatever, whenever I started writing a journal. Like, it was so painful to be that young woman, full of rules. I had so many rules to try and control it. I remember the first date with my now ex-husband. We went to go see a movie with an old man Chinese. It was a midnight screening with Goodfellas. And he got a big bucket of something, (laughs) a kind of food, and bought something else and then poured that something else into the bucket. My eyes were so wide, it broke every rule I had. I couldn't believe it. I ended up marrying him. there were many other rules broken, so let's just say today it's still a thing I get to learn from. It's an an, an ASCO. That marriage, <laughs> my marriage brought me my two amazing daughters, and I uh, struggle with a difficult ex-spouse pretty regularly. The rules, right? So the rules caused me, really hurt me in a lot of ways. So for me, my program has to be in harmony. If I can get too many rules for myself, that's not recovery. And no rules is a free-for-all. And I don't hear that talked about a whole lot because it's like more of like a middle path in a sense. But that's how I have to do this program, because if I go too far in control, and that's what's gotten kicked up, I have some health stuff I'm going on, and the doctor had some restrictive food plans to do for a week or two, and I've talked about it with my sponsor, I was pissed. I didn't want that. I couldn't believe how mad I was that my breakfast had to get changed. You know, I like my breakfast. (laughs) And... That was interesting for me to see in myself. Like, I get attached to these things. And so the rigidity in myself is not recovery for me either. When I get the efforts, that's my inner teenager. And I would spend a lot of years going through the restricting and then the efforts. And that just goes back and forth, and that means just free-for-all. That leaves me unhealthy, unhappy, alone. So I have to find what that looks like, and that's why the rigorous honesty happens, because I can catch, that's where that happens, or helps me create a path for myself that is in alignment with my higher power and me. And that means keeping my spiritual life fit. So when I talk about honesty and in my 10th step with my sponsor, though I've been a little light these last, this last month with back to school and stuff, no excuses, just truth. Uh, I don't lead a perfect pro- program. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> just sit up here. If I'm speaking at light a candle, aren't I supposed to be perfect? Aren't I supposed to say that I do everything really, really well? 
so shh, don't tell me. Um, oh, wait, I'm <laughs> being recorded. That's right. Uh, so, but I include my gratitudes, my food, my water, my exercise, my sleep, my accomplishments, and what I'm giving to God. So that's what I, I write to her. And the reason I include the water, the sleep, and the exercise is because they're all related to me. If I'm too tired, I will go to the food again as for energy. If I have a headache, I think food's a solution. I don't know. Like, food was a solution for everything in the past. That's still going to be my first thought. It's not, you know, sometimes it is in a moment because it helps me disassociate from the pain. Like, I, it, like, the honest thing is it does work in a moment. It does in a moment feel better, and then it doesn't. And I was talking to somebody about this program, and they said, I don't really want to give up the emotional eating. And I understand that. It's a comfort until it's not. Or until, for me, you know, the, the, my body is just not allowing it anymore. And the health stuff I've been through in the last two and a half years has been so difficult because it was, it's all related to food and nourishment and what is happening within my body. And to be truthful, like, in the, I, I came in in 2015, so seven years now, my body's changed a lot in that time. And my abstinence, or my food plan has to change too, because it's not the same. And what worked before doesn't really work now. And when I say work, it's not about, again, checking off a list of perfection, though I'd like that. There's a part of me that really likes those lists, but I was never, I never thought of myself as a perfectionist because I didn't think I was perfect enough. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm not like that person, so I'm not really perfect. I don't care about perfection, I just, you know, but... Man, I've been so hard on myself. I check all those other boxes of it. And I don't need another thing in my life to beat myself up about. I don't need, I don't believe that's what my higher power wants for me. That's my disease talking. And and what was interesting, when I went through this health stuff, I lost... 20 pounds in like six weeks and it was not I thought that like oh I always thought that the scale would be the answer like I'd get to this number and I would it would be all fantastic then and it wasn't I even hated my body I didn't like my body and then I became obsessed about not losing more weight literally weighing myself I took gotten taken the scale out the scale came back in because I wanted to gain weight and my sponsor remembers that. And, and it was, I was as, just as obsessed and just as serious and just as unhappy. Because I wasn't, it, it, there was never good enough. There was like, a, there's maybe like a three pound waiver within what I want it to be. Here in my head, not in my heart, what I know. And, and now it's just more, I'm thinking about how do I just feel good? Like, how do I look good, feel good, be good, in alignment with higher power? When I start, you know, and some of it's how I eat, too. I often am on the go. 
I'm grabbing things and, you know, I'm doing better about sitting down and eating, but that affects digestion too. And, and how I eat is about recovery as well. And I, you know, the, I started praying before I ate, which was, it was really just prayers of gratitude, like looking at what I'm eating and thanking the sun and the earth and the wind and the rain and all the things that the people who grow the food that I'm eating, you know, the people who transport it, who get it to me. And what that does is it makes me present. So I can't disassociate and rush and do other things. And what I find, it's a dance. Before I came into program, I had a pendulum swing with my, like I was constantly kind of probably going, I don't even know how much weight it was, but I was always on one side of the pendulum. I'd lose it and then I'd go back. And sometimes I could be in the same month, sometimes I felt like. I was so self-conscious when I saw people. I was always in my clothes, but they were just a little too tight. They were never loose. <laughs> but it was just one of those things. It just felt awful. I, I, and, and, I, and I, I could see that within myself. And in my household growing up, there was the shame around that. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, my mom, who I, I love very much, and we've worked through a lot over the years, and I think this program has really helped my, me heal a lot of her, my relationship with her. And some of these things happened, right? I was pregnant with my first daughter, and she said, you know, you're, you're pregnant all over. And she said, let's go buy you some red shoes so no one has to look at your body. So I have some red shoes. I don't think I have them anymore. Uh, They, you know, I had such shame, even pregnant. I wish I didn't. I'm ashamed that I have shame, you know. Like, I don't want that. I wanted it to be blissful and beautiful and and. And it wasn't easy to be pregnant. I love my daughters. I love talking to them while I was pregnant. But this stuff isn't easy. You know, it took a lot. Of, it takes a lot of courage to face the trauma of our childhood, my childhood, the, to do it differently. I knew one thing for sure. As a mom, I was going to be different. And, you know, there was a lot of competition in my household, too, uh, with my mom, with weight, with all of that stuff. And she one time was on a, a diet there. She only ate carrots. And I just remember her hands turning orange from too many carrots. There's also a story, thank you. My dad was a doctor, and my mom wanted a diet pill, her and her friend. And so the big joke was that he and... He gave one to her and her friend, and they were so excited because they were losing weight. It was a placebo. There was nothing in it. <laughs> so, there, you know, it was chaos, and, and my, my nine-year-old self just grew up really believing all those things, and I've been living out of that nine-year-old self so much when I get dressed and go out. And, and, and still today, last week, if I'm thinking I'm around someone who's going to judge me about how I look, then... I can take that on and and do that. I guess the the thing that I want to say is my higher power right now, I just see kind of holding me in light 
And when I don't feel safe or secure, there's no amount of food that's ever going to make me secure and feel safe. There's just not enough. Like, I could eat, I've tried, and it doesn't work. But I have to go to God, and I have to be uncomfortable with the knowledge that there's, that we just don't, there's so much uncertainty in life. And can I live in the, in that discomfort and that and, and practice distress tolerance and not use food to cover up life because in that uncertainty is all of the dynamic aspects of life. There's the joy. There's the excitement. Even the grief. I lost a really dear friend to drugs and alcohol in August, and life surprises you in the most unexpected ways. And I look for evidence of God in my life as much as I possibly can. And being asked to speak today when I didn't feel quite right is such a gift. And I heard this in a meeting, which was, you can't see the wind, but you see the evidence of the wind. I can't see God, but can I look for the evidence of God in my life? Can I look for it in the food I'm eating, which is where the prayer helps? Can I look for it in the nourishing for me? Can I look for it in the the way I pause in a moment when I pick up the phone and call a fellow the tools, when I meditate? Those are the evidences that I have something higher than myself to... To, to live a life that is, is happy, joyous, and free. Because I, I want that. I want that for each of you, too. From, like, the bottom of my heart. So, I guess it's time. Or so. Is it time? Six minutes? Yeah. I'm happy to take a question, if there are any, or... <laughs> How has program helped me with a difficult personality? Yes, absolutely, for sure. First of all, God is in everything. So that means this is showing up for me in a way that is important. I'll tell a quick story, too. I send my 10th step to my sponsor, whose initial is the same as the ex-spouse. And one day, I hit send and sent my 10th step to the ex-spouse. Yes, my eyes are bugging open. It was terrifying. I wouldn't have known I had done it had he not responded and said something very snarky. And I was horrified. I burst into tears in my kitchen floor, which is just like a red floor, and I just remember leaning against the like, stove, just so upset and, and horrified, because there was stuff about him in there, too, because I gave it all to God. 
And you know what? Like, the cry came, and then by that afternoon, I was laughing. God was in that, too. Like, okay, I made a mistake. I made a rule for myself. No texting before <laughs> when I'm sitting right after meditation. <laughs> I do have some rules still. still. Um, but program really is it's higher power. It's really asking for guidance. It's making calls. Checking in when I want to vent versus when I need recovery. So sometimes I need to just vent and let it out. And, and boundaries. You know, I used to eat to take care of boundaries instead of boundaries. I didn't know how to do that. And I was so afraid as a mom that I was going to yell at my kids, so I ate if they broke boundaries because I didn't have the tools. So learning the tools about how to... And boundaries are not about controlling someone else. They're what I'm willing to do or not do, or it's about me putting something in place. And I'm not... I'm going to... It's okay for me to say no. And how can I say no with grace and dignity? And I, I've learned that here. And the more gentle I am with myself, the more I can spot the other stuff that comes at me. Because it's pretty horrific stuff that I get um, there. And, and, and sometimes, and also I help. I, I mean, there's so much program can do, and then there's other tools I needed to, to handle it. Both legally and, <laughs> and emotionally. <laughs> yeah. So, two more minutes. Is there any other questions? Thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. Um, could you talk about, um, you mentioned like, the ideas of like enough and rules. Um, could you talk about what a balanced day looks like for you? Yeah. So what does a balanced day look like for me? It really, it starts now, I, my phone had eked back into my bedroom. It starts now with the phone out of my room for sleeping, and I've slept so much better this week with my phone physically out of my bedroom. So it starts there, going to bed, and it starts where I don't look at my phone after I meditate, for sure. And I do feed the dogs first. <laughs> and then I come in and I meditate first. Then I've also prioritized doing some kind of movement before I start working, because I work for myself, so I'm self-employed. So I definitely make sure, because that was getting pushed too. I'll definitely do exercise later in the day, but I needed some, some movement in the morning too. And checking in with fellows as well throughout the day and, and, and going to my meetings. Okay. And then working and getting up and not sitting. I, you know, I overwork. I can tend to be an, a workaholic. So I have things in place for that, but it's, um, it's watching because I will suddenly be hungry when it's when something I don't want to do shows up at my work. And I have to check myself with that. So the checking myself is just a pause. I sometimes will put my hand on my heart and just ask, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? And can I have a little something or is it, what, what kind of hunger is it? And is it really hungry, hunger or not? And my food plan allows me to have snacks. But lately I've been playing with not to allow my gut to rest in between. So it's, you know, but I talk about my food plan I, as much as, you know, 
there's like, like I said, there's some rules, there are some that are not, and that's not going to work for everybody else. I need to say that again, right? Like what works for me may not work for somebody else. My abstinence may be really harmful to somebody else, and I don't sit here saying that what works for me is going to work for everybody, but it's really having a strong spiritual foundation pretty much every day. And daily, it's a daily reprieve, for sure. Yeah, thank you. Is that it? A minute. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the disassociation remedies to do that. Um, really feeling my feet on the ground, making sure that I do that. I tend to want to um, keep my arms crossed, my legs crossed really tightly. I really try to keep myself open. Uh, breathing exercises, but not forcing the breathing, because sometimes forcing the breathing can cause the opposite effect. So, and then I do something called orienting where I kind of look around the room and make sure I move my neck around and know that I'm here I know this is where I'm okay and a lot of times I put my hand on my heart and then I use the butterfly I tap, I'm tapping my arms across my chest yeah. and that really helps yeah Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sorry.